Hey there, and welcome to Why Is That Important, where people come for interesting ideas and perhaps a little debate. Uh, I am your co-host, Joe Wanger, and I'm here with our exceptionally intelligent and always ready for a debate, Andrew Martin. Hey, guys. Um, each week, we have the privilege of interviewing someone who has something they feel is important enough to talk about, and we'll all take the time to discuss it and maybe even uh, disagree on it. And... Um, we're depending on we don't know how the the episodes will line up, but um, there's a we're we're doing the Martin Suite um, <laughs> currently. We had Nathaniel uh, Andrew's brother on last week, and this week we have uh, Philip, Phil, Felipe, Martin uh, on, and um, so yeah. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So yeah. Um, Let's just, you know, first off, let's just start off with um, being redundant, obviously, first off, and <laughs> um, give us just a little bit of background, uh, obviously, how you know us, and um, like the thing, you know, things that are important to you with the, along this topic, like where's, what's your background with all of that? Okay, uh, I know Andrew as brother, um, childhood arch nemesis. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And uh, current debate partner um, on any topic that we find um, interesting enough to waste time on. Uh, Joe and I have known each other as long as I can remember. Um, he mostly ignored me for the first 15 years. Uh, and then he punched me one time and now we're friends. Yeah, multiple times, but yeah, we're friends. Yeah. But it was the one time um, that the- really made the friendship. Without that... I'd- we between the three of us, we've played a couple hundred games of settlers, mm. and uh, that really solidified uh, solidified the friendship in one way or another. Um, and we've actually argued a lot with each other as well. And that's actually the the topic that I want to bring up. That I want to I think is important is arguing. Um, it's a well, it's a whole set of interrelated topics. Clear thinking critical thinking, um, reason, logic, arguing. Uh, I think clear thinking is probably the, the best title with the subtitle, why you find those Facebook debates so frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> I hate discus. Whenever I see a website, it's like, well, I guess it's called discuss, but it looks like discus to me. It's like comments by discuss. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. I've never seen anything with that on it. Really? Yeah. I mean, I've seen the name of it, but I've never actually... Usually when I see debates, it's in Facebook or, or Reddit. Oh, um, see, this is this is how much more highbrow that I am than you. I, I don't frequent Facebook <laughs> or Reddit. Uh, I try to keep myself above that fray. <laughs> I, try and, I try and convince everybody, everybody I know on Facebook about things um, because I'm always right. So now that Joe and I are dominating this conversation, let's go back to you, Philip. So where where did your, shall I say, interest in clear thinking and, you know, arguing to a point and successfully getting somewhere with that, where did, where did that spring from? Well, it's certainly not because I uh, am the expert who should be talking on it. And I think that actually um, either of you would do a better job of this, which makes it a good... Um, should be an interesting podcast to to discuss through these things. 
Uh, I'm certainly not the best at clear thinking or arguing. I think as well that um, we're at a particular point in our culture where clear thinking and the ability to articulate an argument well is at a low point. I, th- I don't think that's a controversial uh, idea. Um, in general, we don't like arguments. Um, we prefer tolerance these days. And when we do have arguments, they uh, they quickly run to the lowest common denominator. So it's, cert- it's something that our culture is dealing with. And for me, um, for me, I'm in uh, Christian ministry. And so I have the job of preaching now and then. And so I am trying to communicate something to a group of people in a way that they can follow and understand and that um, I can make a point that I have a logical argument in my, in my sermon and I need to persuade people of that. And so it's something that has come up um, in my own work over the past uh, year and a half. Um, and my inability to do it at times is perhaps why I want to talk about it more. Interesting. So would you say, like you, you referred to our culture being at a low point in our ability to make logical, um, valid arguments to one another that are convincing, or at least that's how I interpreted what you said. Um, right. Would you say that's different than in the past? Well, certainly the Enlightenment and modernism uh, believed that there was a right answer, uh, and we have shifted away from that. And I do want to make a disclaimer that I'm not a huge fan of the Enlightenment altogether. Um, I'm not, I don't think that reason is ultimate. It makes a pretty bad God, uh, and it doesn't solve all of your problems. So I'm not saying that if everybody, everybody could articulate an argument well, uh, we wouldn't have any problems. Um, but I do think over the past, um, few decades, we've moved away from thinking that we can, um, debate, concepts and let the best idea win Um, partially because we don't think there is a best idea and everybody can have their own and partially because we've become more and more polarized and that's the the second part is social media is not a it's not conducive to clear thinking period yeah i would certainly be willing to agree with that it doesn't take a a real leap to imagine um, when people have face-to-face discussions, they're certainly much more forgiving and much more willing to um, right. read and into any read read into what people are saying rather than just react. Any amount of time spent on Joe's Facebook will prove my point rather quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking too. Like, do you do you? I wonder if. Um, when we move from being a more of a spoken word um, kind of culture to, you know, things being written down and then eventually to the digital age where everything you, you move from not just things being written down, but things being able to be accessible and quickly put out there. And, um, I mean, there is a, there's a, there is a narcissistic tendency that, that comes along with, um, that can come along with Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, I mean, there's a lot of people who are doing it, and it's not narcissistic, um, but there's there's a lot of people that are. So I was curious if if part of that is just the fact that that medium, um, the written versus 
the spoken has anything to do with it. It probably has less to do with the written spoken divide as much as it does with the ability to produce content quickly. And so the normal mechanisms that are meant to be in place in a society to say, um, this person made that argument, it is invalid, we should not listen to it. Um, Even in the academic world that has all kinds of peer review systems set up, the sheer amount of content being produced has overwhelmed that. Uh, And so uh, the job that people have to do today is sift through the mountains of ideas and content being thrown at them and discern what is reasonable, what is logical, uh, what is just a bunch of baloney, uh, and find the nuggets in there. But we don't have, so far, we have not created good systems to do that. Certainly the, the Facebook along the along the side, these are trending topics, or Twitter. Something that trending is trending does not mean that it's a good idea. Would you... Would, uh, but that's a... Th- I think Kim Kardashian would disagree. <laughs> True. There are certainly people and who, she's a lo- who have, a, who have a, uh, a desire to see that system continue because they have a vested interest in it. Yeah, not legitimizing it, but there's there's well, a certain crowd that benefits from it. I mean, I guess is for somebody that like maybe is in the midst of that and would see this issue being something that isn't like why does it why does it really even matter that that we all come to you know a general conclusion together? If that makes sense. I would actually reword it and say it doesn't matter uh, that we come to conclusions on things, but it matters that we're able to have the conversation and that we believe that there is a right and wrong answer to some things. Obviously, we don't. uh, There's a whole huge amount of things that we have no idea. uh, We don't have the data to know, um, and we still argue about those things. But there's another set of things that we argue about when there is... um, there are good and bad arguments being put out there, but we uh, are unwilling to have it. So, um, but to, to answer the question more clearly, why does it matter? Um, I think that the ability to speak clearly, to articulate an idea in the public realm and in a workplace and at home um, is more powerful than Ever because it's so rare. And so anybody that wants to um, wants to do their marriage a favor, wants to uh, grow in their career and advance in their career, or wants to have an influence in the public square, communicating clearly and thinking clearly uh, is an easy first step in my mind. Would you- that's, that's the argument I'm making. Would you say the democratization of content distribution, so anybody can make a blog, that kind of thing, would you say... Anybody can make a podcast? Anybody can make a podcast. <laughs> any, any two idiots with time on their hands can, can tell people things they think. Um, would you say that that has, because it's lowered the barrier to, of entry, that has allowed less well-thought-out opinions to plurifer- multiply... Because if you're yes, in a, right. you love that, if you're in a situation where there's filters, there's hurdles that you have to get through, aka publishers, because they can only publish so much. There's limited volumes of 
say the printing press or what have you or distrib- distribution lists where there's yes those those people say hey you know you have some interesting thoughts but this isn't nearly cogent enough to put out for mass distribution where today anybody Correct. can plop down anything they want including someone like Joe and I and thereby we don't have to take the time to think out our ideas as fully and flesh them out and I don't know, I guess, really put legs to them. But in some ways, though, we're getting to hear voices that we would have never heard before, um, that we would have been, you know, segregated from in these these ways, too. And so it's because because everybody has equal access to it, it, I guess the cream of the crop winds up, up coming out on top anyway but how, i mean who who determines but, but then so does so does you know um you know the kardashians and and all that stuff too i guess cream of the crop what who, who's doing the, the separation is my question i mean the cream of the crop used to be how by by what we think is most society. popular yeah but how does society well, yeah, ra- do it what's their mechanism ratings i mean it depends on the it depends on what we're talking about but you know ratings downloads word of mouth um you know, I'm just in I'm thinking podcasts. You know, the there's the the mechanism mechanism is whoever whoever has a lot of people listening and taking the time. You know, Google Google is the one that that determines all of that. <laughs> Can I agree and disagree with both of you? Sure. Uh, first of all, the publishing industry certainly served that role in a lot of ways, um, but they are not perfect at it, and there's plenty of books on shelves in bookstores that no one and libraries all around the country <laughs> that prove that publishers are not always good uh, at deciding what is um, what is a good idea and what's not. And they had an interest in producing what would sell, not necessarily what is a good idea. So the same problem exists in both worlds, that there are a category of things that are popular that are not actually logical or... Um, they're appealing to emotions, which emotions aren't bad, and we should appeal to emotions. But appealing to an emotional, um, appealing to emotions instead of making a clear argument is a problem. Um, and those things can be very popular, and we just uh, fall to the lowest common denominator of whatever is, uh, whatever is entertaining, whatever um, is piques my curiosity in the basest sense, that is what trends on Twitter often. So would you put some of the fault back on the consuming public then if they're not discerning enough to say, look, this is just, you know, tugging at my heartstrings or trying to play off my emotions. And and even if you don't know if there's, you know, a profit motive behind that, if you feel that, you should be able to say, okay, I'm asking, I'm not saying that this is the way it should be. I'm asking, okay, mm-hmm. let me take a look at why they're playing this emotional card. Is it because they you know, want the quick sell or is it because it's actually pertinent and material to the, to the story they're trying to tell or, or the narrative or what what have you? Right. Is it is uh, it our fault? Yes and no. It is, uh, and I don't think we're going to change the general public anytime soon. I also was reading an article about critical thinking um, in the education space. 
the American education lags behind in um, a lot of concrete categories, like math scores and uh, the more the STEM um, STEM areas, I guess you would call them. The American education lags behind, um, but we always tell ourselves it's okay because we're teaching our kids critical thinking. This article was saying that on every measure, we're actually not good at critical thinking. We're not good at teaching it in the schools. So uh, part of it is our education system does not um, does not teach people how to do that. But I think the important thing is for us to, is to realize we're not going to change all of that, but we can change our own communication to be more clear. And anyone who is writing even the most mundane email at work or is having a discussion with their spouse or the head of an HOA or uh, a small business or is involved in a church plant, we need to communicate things to people. Um, Being able to think clearly about our ideas and articulate them uh, well, concisely, will be attractive to people when they're used to wading through the the misty marshes of Facebook debates. When you hear good thinking, it's really um, it's really attractive. Do people take the time to to wade through good, well thought out arguments though? Because sometimes, like take Donald Trump's candidacy. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I don't care where you stand on. He had a very clear message make America great again. And while it was really ambiguous, it was really hard to argue against. Nobody's going to say, no, we don't want to make America great again. And even in making that argument, you're admitting some things that his position held. So to really push back against that thought didn't take, you know, a fragment of a sentence. You needed paragraphs, if not pages, to say, well, you're making the assumption that America was once great and that it's not currently great and that our greatness you know, looked in this specific way in the past and returning to that will, you know, bring back this desired glory, whether it ever existed or not. So I guess my question is, are people willing to do the hard work of being convincible, of seeing clear, concise arguments, even when they're long and complex, they're still clear and concise? So it sounds like an oxymoron, but taking a very complex thing and making it only somewhat complex is clarifying it and shortening it, right? Yes. So are people right. are people willing to seek to understand difficult to understand arguments for the sake of being convinced of a of a greater truth if I may use that terminology? No, usually not. And that's where um our job is not to necessarily poke holes in everything and explain the complexity behind it, but to boil down the argument into something as clear and concise as make America great again. Uh, and that's what Hillary didn't do. Hillary's response was, I'm with her, which was not compelling to anybody unless, I mean, obviously some people, uh, but it did not answer the, uh, it did not answer the emotional appeal of make America great again. Um, so there's a uh, Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes said, I do not give a fig for the, simpli- for the simplicity this side of complexity, but I would give my right arm for the simplicity on the far side of complexity. And his point is that there are simple pat answers that people give without thinking through something. 
um, and that's not worth anything. But what we need to do is think through something very clearly, master the idea, and then simplify it, and then make it concise um, so that people don't have to do... We do that hard work for people and give a very clear, simple statement, which requires a lot of work. It requires um, being good at analyzing and recognizing logical arguments and boiling them down to the most, uh, the most fundamental parts. So does that make sense? The people are not going to wade through the complex part of the argument. Sure. That actually makes absolute sense because it fits in with two experiences I've had. And the one is that, as I like to say, and Joe's heard me say this before, and you probably have too, Philip. Anytime somebody says, all we need is, or we just need to, or something along those lines, <laughs> you can pretty much ignore whatever comes after. So that that is Andrew's way of saying, Oliver Wendell's Holmes, I wouldn't give a fig for the simplicity on this side of complexity. Um, and the other side of that is people like Richard Feynman or Albert Einstein have incredibly complex and beautiful theories, but often when they express them to you, like uh, like the space-time continuum, right? To express that mathematically, you need at least a master's and probably a PhD in, in mathematics to really have a solid grasp on it. But even a child can understand how if you take a rubber sheet and put a heavy ball on it, it makes a dip around that and something nearing it will want to move closer to it. And so being able to create that example that Mm -hmm. relatively accurately describes the conceptualization of those mathematical formulae is actually being able to boil down something incredibly complex into something even a child can understand. And that's one of the things uh, Feynman was universally praised for, was being able to take complex physical ideas and make them understandable to first and second year uh, undergraduates. I just I just watched Star Trek, so I learned about the, the time-space continuum. That's where That's you get where your get information all, on the time-space uh, continuum? I'm a little worried, Joe. <laughs> the, iPad, the iPad came from Star Trek, too. Um, I think, so I wonder then, is, is part of the issue that um, we start off with the idea rather than the motivation or the the compelling the compelling reason for something first. Like, do we seek out, for example, to prove like, what we already like, believe? Yeah, I think like f- like I think you have to make people care before you can before you can make before you can argue with anybody. You know what I mean? I think maybe that's part of the issue why the Facebook debates are so annoying. Is like. And I've had I've had a bunch of them, and it was interesting because I would get many people coming to me in the in a personal message, like, "Hey, really appreciated what you said. I don't understand why you even talk to X, Y, and Z anymore. Like, they're not they're not listening to you." And I just I think I think the people who are stuck in their ways need to need need to be spoken to just as much as the people that agree with me. But. Um, there was there's there's literally no motive there was as i think about it now there's no motivation for them to change their thought in any way because their experience and their lives and their opinions were all based off of a very finite experience and they weren't looking to they weren't weren't looking to to understand whereas whereas other people in the debate were they were looking to um, verbally vomit off of, over everyone, and it wound up becoming this like 
conser- ultra conservative Republican circle. Like you would point the whole, you poke a hole in one argument, and then they move on. They they'd find some little tiny thing in there, and then they'd move on to this other argument, and then they do it again, kept doing it again, kept going back in this circle, and then they would accuse you of doing exactly what they were doing. And it, to me, there was the reason the reason why like Trump for example why he succeeded in his message was because it, there was a there was a very simple compelling thought behind the fact that as Americans we want things to be great and so you can ignore the fact that maybe things already are but they can always be better and and if you then you go on to whether you agreed with him or not but um, the story brand um, podcast talks about does your website for example pass the grunt test like in like four or five words can you say what you do and it doesn't need to be um, we make high quality high quality vintage blah 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 just be like we paint buildings <laughs> you know because um, people aren't people are I think part of it is too we're so inundated with with words and advertisements and all this stuff we need stuff that just pokes through all that, pushes through all that, and just gives us what we need on the forefront. And then we can discuss all the complexities behind it afterwards. Mm-hmm. So I have a John MacArthur quote, which Yay. is always a good time. Uh, he was talking about preaching, but I think it, it, it describes what is happening in those Facebook debates. He said, it's very easy to be hard to understand. It only requires that you not know what you're talking about. And if you don't know what you're talking about, no one else will either. It's very hard to be crystal clear because in order to be crystal clear, you have to have mastered the text. Um, And so he's talking about preaching a biblical text. You have to understand what you're saying first. But the same thing happens on Facebook debates. People don't know what they're talking about. Uh, They're repeating things that they've heard, but when they try to communicate something they don't understand, it comes across and very muddled. And so if you try to engage that with a logical argument, it probably won't go very far. I also have a longer G.K. Chesterton quote. Um, Go ahead. Let's hear it. Okay, you ready? Yep, ready. Hit us. (laughs) The best reason for a revival of philosophy is that unless a man has a philosophy, certain horrible things will happen to him. He will be practical. He will be progressive. He will cultivate efficiency. He will trust in evolution. He will do the work that lies nearest. He will devote himself to deeds, not words. Thus, struck down blow by blow after blow of blind stupidity and random fate, he will stagger on to a miserable death with no comfort but a series of catchwords, such as those which I have cataloged above. Those things are simply substitutes for thoughts. In some cases, they are the tags and tail ends of somebody else's thinking. That means... That a man who refuses to have his own philosophy will not even have the advantages of a brute beast, and he, um, and he, uh, and be left to his own instincts. He will only have the used-up scraps of someone else's philosophy, which the beasts do not have to inherit. Hence, their happiness. Men have always one of two things: either a complete and conscious philosophy, or the unconscious acceptance of the broken bits of some incomplete and shattered and often discredited philosophy. Nice. So, I like that. I wish I were clever enough to succinctly describe that in just a sentence, but. <laughs> so, 
but does not the shattered incomplete uh, the shattered bits of someone else's incomplete and discredited philosophy describe what gets vomited back on Facebook debates? That describes the vast majority of trying to discuss anything with anyone. It seems like, except for the two of you, I'll I'll accept you and a few other select people. But I mean, even when you read the editorials in the Wall Street Journal, there's oftentimes people are just coughing up old philosophies that while they might have some merit to them and there's some clear thinking that went into them once upon a time, they certainly haven't been revised. Actually, if I may offer an example, and you can tell me if you think it fits that category or not, the strict strict constructionist constitution people, they assume that the clear thinking done once is sufficient indefinitely. Um, and while there's some right. truth in that the clear thinking that was done that first time was a very great and amazing and profitable basis to begin with, the assumption that it never needs to be revisited seems arrogant even. So instead of right. developing their own philosophy Can- that says, okay, some parts are worthwhile and some parts maybe need to be revisited or modified or removed um they stick with what was great once upon a time in an effort to make themselves at least on par with that is that can you explain for the listeners what the strict constructionist absolutely uh and for me so there's there's (laughs) a group of people who tend to be on the right side of as in the conservative side of the political spectrum who believe that the way the Constitution was written, when it was written, is the sole document we need for governance. That the the role of government hasn't changed significantly enough to require or even allow for a change in the role uh, or a change in the governing philosophies. So, America. Yeah, exactly. So. The states need to be able to control everything that's not, you know, cross-border trade and foreign wars, basically. Um, Because America. Because America, yeah. Because it worked great for a period of time and put America on top, in theory. Although I I think it doesn't take very long. I mean, if you read the biographies of someone like Alexander Hamilton or George Washington or a number of other founding fathers, frankly, by the... Frankly, yeah, Benjamin Franklin, by the time they're... uh, (laughs) in positions of power, they're already modifying the Constitution. I mean, the Federalist Papers was basically Alexander Hamilton's way of saying, okay, here's what we have, and here's how we can stretch it into something that'll work. And the people who say, nope, we have to stick to exactly what we had in uh, 1792, I think are only fooling themselves into thinking that it'll still work today when it didn't work 10 years later. Right, and so... And your your point here is that they those people have taken ideas from someone else, ideas that someone else has thought through. Even though they were good um, ideas, they failed to right. understand that they can't take them lock, stock, and barrel from another time they, and expect them to work as the, well. Yeah, the strict constructionist party certainly does not understand um, governing documents as well as the writers of the Constitution did. And so they are working with... Um, they're working with these shattered leftover bits, uh, incomplete understanding of what a governing document should be, and repeating these platitudes about 
the Constitution without actually having thought through things well themselves. Uh, and what you're left with is being controlled by things you don't understand, um, which is a scary place to be. Exactly. So the, the, our final question to you then, Philip, is uh, why, why is it important for other people to learn, I shouldn't say other people, for all of us, each and every one of us, to learn to make concise, clear arguments uh, in a nutshell. So in your most concise and clear way, why should we make concise, clear arguments to those around us? Uh, because, like, it's better than not doing it. <laughs> it's going to be the most amazing, the best, just amazing. It'll be, it'll be fantastic. It'll be amazing. I was like, hold on, I have a meme for this. <laughs> essentially, essentially, my point is that all of us communicate. All of us are persuading someone. All of us have to make arguments at some point. And uh, the the success of our endeavors, whether it's in personal relationships, in the workplace, or in uh, church, or any realm, uh, rises and falls partly, and I would argue significantly, on our ability to communicate clearly and concisely. Um, so I think it's a skill that everybody should have at some level. Not all of us are going to be a G.K. Chesterton who can understand the culture as a whole uh, and write powerfully about it and uh, and be profound. Most of us are not profound, but the average people still need to communicate. And so we should grow in our ability to communicate concisely and clearly. So... That answer again proves that this is. I'm not bringing up this topic because I'm an expert at it. You, you haven't yet mastered concise, clear thinking. <laughs> no, I have not. <laughs> okay, well then let's let's take it even like so. Somebody, let's just say, is listening and they agree with you. Like, what are from your experience and and from the things that you have maybe gone to or listened to or read? Um, how do people even begin that journey? Because I think. Like if we're if we're as far from it as what we what we see, you know what are the what are the ways to even remedy that on our just a personal level? First, I think that uh, you have to listen to your English teacher, and edit and revise. Uh, and so whether um, whether you're writing an email or anytime you're writing something the editing process is a good time to practice thinking clearly. It's a time to look and say, okay, what what argument am I actually making here? Is that being communicated to the person who will read this? Um, and so we can grow by practicing it in our writing. I think more fun is reading about logical fallacies. I think everybody should have a working understanding of the, the most basic logical fallacies. You don't need to be a, a debate expert. Don't worry about master. the Latin names for them either. Right. <laughs> you just have to know that there's a difference between a valid and a sound argument. And so when you're arguing about something, you can say, well, that would be true if your premises, the grounds for your argument were true. And then you can direct the argument in the correct direction um, rather than just say how could you even say that have you ever seen the hierarchy of arguing 
So it's like Maslow's no, or hierarchy of needs, but about arguing. And the the very base one is just like nah, just like refu- <laughs> refutation of the point. It's like, and then above that is like ad, ad hominem. So it's like nah, because you're dumb. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I don't remember all the Sad. steps. I don't remember all the steps, but basically <laughs> from there it goes to being like, um, no, and I. I I, I think you're wrong. Like, I have a reason to believe you're wrong. And then from there, it's like, here's my reason that I think you're wrong. And then it's like, um, basically, the, the very pinnacle is a refutation of the central point with data. So it's then, because then it works in, because the, the one below that is a refutation of, like, the conclusions. So it's one thing to say, that's not what's going to happen, but it's another thing to say that's not what's going to happen because where you started from was incorrect. So I really ought to find that and link that in the podcast description yeah, below. I, I, uh, I pulled it up. Did you? Um, it is name calling. Like I won't use their example. Um, and then uh, ad hominem responding to tone. Um, I always love that one. Oh, great. It's the tone police again. I've gotten that one so many times. I'm like, nope. Not where I'm talking coming from. Um, counter argument, refutation, and then refuting the central point. Yeah. Yeah, we should definitely we'll link to that in the show notes and when we, when we figure out how that and how you should use that as a response to everyone's Facebook reply that uses any one of those. Just they're like <laughs> Yes. You're a dumb head. Link to that. Ad hominem attack. Doesn't count. Millennial crybaby. <laughs> Ad hominem well, attack. That doesn't because count. you voted for fill in the blank i did not <laughs> <laughs> i thought we said we weren't going to talk about politics for a couple of weeks well currently uh, it kind of into yeah infuses <laughs> so many pieces of life because it's so radically outside the realm of normal so is it even i mean is it even possible to have a good debate like an act, like I should say, good, a healthy debate on on a platform like Facebook, or is it better just to? I mean, I even in the midst of some of these arguments, I've seen people go, you know what? I don't feel like this is making a difference. Like, can I take you out for coffee? And then they just they don't, then the person just like drops from the argument. So I don't think that it's possible to have a very good debate on Facebook. But what I do think it's possible for us to do is to display clear, concise thinking on Facebook. So what I mean by that is instead of engaging in pointing out where the other person is wrong, make your point in a very clear, concise way. Boil it down. Find the exact point where you disagree with the other person. Say, I understand what you're saying. This is what I'm saying. This is what you're saying. We disagree on this exact thing. And then boil it down. Make some sort of clear statement um, so that you you are uh, spending your time and energy not trying to point out the mistakes in other people's logic, but showing people what good logic looks like. And I, I think on something like Facebook, you also have to be aware of your audience. I mean, if you were literally on a debate stage and one person is up there being like, you're too young, young to know better, blah, 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 and saying things that are, you know, straw man or ad hominem or no true Scotsman attacks or, you know, basically bad argument style in front of a thousand people and you're up there saying, well, for these reasons, I think this is true and this is false. Like, even though it might not be a quote unquote good debate in the sense that it wasn't 
two sides presenting ideas, presenting their substance and premises for those ideas, and then to trying to come to an understanding of which one is better, even though it's not that, it's not a good debate, the audience is still being affected. They're still seeing a better idea and a worse idea. And I think, mm-hmm. Joe, when people respond to you and say, hey, thank you for saying that, that's somebody in the audience coming up to you afterwards and saying, hey, even though it wasn't a good debate, I'm glad you were able to present arguments that were at least sounded sound and, and reasonable and plausible and hopefully even valid. Um, so I think we have to be aware of our audience. And so even when we're on Facebook, even though we may not be trying to convince the writer that we're writing against, we may be trying to convince the thousand people who come after and read that. Um, and being able to lay out a clear, concise argument saying, look, here are here's what I believe and here are the reasons I believe that is much more effective than, well, <laughs> here's where, than not that. Here's where you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. My friend Jake said that people that are convinced by bad arguments are convinced by good arguments for the same exact reason. Essentially, they have a low standard for what makes sense for them. And so if you make sense, you can convince some people. And so instead of spending your time trying to point out where someone else doesn't make sense, which is a lot harder argument to someone who has a low standard for what makes sense, just say something that seems that is actually reasonable. Um, so it's it's much better to spend your time on that end of the spectrum. Certainly there are times where you have to say, here's the problem in your logic. Um, but that generally, it takes a lot of humility on the other side to hear that, which leads into the, the third thing I think we can do is um, cultivate humility and the ability to listen when we are having uh, disagreements and debates. Um, Many times the actual content of the debate is good, but it's our personality and our ego that uh, limits the the extent to which we're able to to take the conversation. Um, So... Would you say say people are too proud to be convinced? Yeah, essentially... Sweet, uh, and I we all something are. down into the essential argument. <laughs> I mean, I, that's one of the things that I, I think I, I personally have struggled with. It's something I uh, that I wasn't even, I don't know that I was even like fully aware of it until, um, well, I don't even know. Like it, it but I just was like, it was, it was about me being right, not about, and and about them being wrong. Like there was definitely like in my heart. A, a winner and I wanted to be that person and I'm, I'm getting better at it. It's, it's certainly not, um, certainly not there, but you know, it makes a difference when you want to, when you place value on the person on the other side, um, versus just looking at what there's just what they're saying. It makes a, it makes a significant impact on, on, on the discussion and on the people Maybe not that aren't even involved in the, in the discussion, and that was the thing that became evident to me in some of those conversations was, you know, there was there was always people watching, especially on Facebook, um, which that should that should matter, um, but it doesn't for many people. Mm-hmm. I think the humility piece plays into the last thing, uh, the the fourth thing that I think average people like us can do to grow in our ability to communicate concisely and clearly and think clearly, uh, which is 
follow uh, someone else's argument. Get better at tracing a logical argument. So um, for those of us who are reading scripture, you can take uh, a passage in an epistle where Paul is making really complex arguments and try to break it down. Uh, and that doing that hard work of following someone else's thinking, um, or if you try to take really unclear thinking on Facebook and break it down and say, here are the assumptions that they're making, here's the point they're trying to make, doing that work helps you to see someone's argument as they're saying it. So you can actually follow along with it and challenge it at the same time. Because um, often I think one of the most difficult things to do and the, the places we trip up is that we don't understand what the other person is saying. Because most of us aren't good at, at being clear communicators. So we don't understand what the other person has said. And we respond with something that then doesn't make sense to them. So we go around in circles and it takes five minutes before we have even understood the other person. The so growing in your ability to follow an argument is uh, is crucial. I have certainly been party to and witness to many arguments where the parties involved aren't actually disagreeing. They just can't say it in a way that the other person understands. And that's something that's led me to believe that the signal being received is just as important as the signal being sent. Um, so mm -hmm. it's important to know what the listener is hearing which can be really hard to do. It can be really complex, um, especially in something like the written word where you're not present to see the reaction. Right. The The Bible never jumps out and says, you misunderstood me. Exactly. Exactly. Which would sometimes be pretty fantastic. <laughs> I think it would have saved quite a few misunderstandings throughout the years. <laughs> I, would, I would add a fifth one to your, to your thing. Um, no one you're arguing with a troll. Right. <laughs> and then fishing cut bait, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a I don't I don't know if some something similar to trolls existed pre internet. I imagine they did. I imagine they were, you know, annoying street bullies or, or some such. Um Democrats. <laughs> what? <laughs> Historically Democrats have made some very good well thought out I'm kidding. arguments. I'm, um, I'm kidding. However, I just wanted to be that guy. Yeah, that's valid. Now you're beat. <laughs> so have Republicans. Um, and I think today, neither of them are making well thought out opinions, which leads to a failure of governance. But that's a separate podcast entirely. So, yeah, like, like not this podcast. I, I think that's ever, that's in the why is that ever. not important podcast. Yeah. To go. <laughs> I, I was going to say the one thing I would encourage people to do is identify if you're arguing to seek the truth, to identify what is truly going on behind the issue, or if you're arguing to try and win and to make yourself feel better. Mm -hmm. Because finding the truth rarely gives you the dopamine hit of humbling that anywhere near as powerful as humbling someone else, especially in front of an audience to where they're like, I'm wrong. You're right. That can be really satisfying, especially to people like say it, say it, say uncle. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Say intellectual uncle. You may be bigger than me, but I'm smarter than you. That kind of thing. That can be really satisfying to certain types of people like Joe and I. Um, and it takes a lot of work to get to the point where we're like, you know what? You have a good point. I think you're right. 
It's going to be really hard for me to actually believe that, but give me some time and I'll come around to it. Some people, by the end of the conversation, are like willing to defend the other person's point as strongly as they were defending their own, but that, I think, is a unique talent. Mm-hmm. That's the area where I feel like the church has an opportunity in our culture, which has a lack of clear thinking, a lack of um, sound reason to come into the public arena, into personal conversations, and um, and think clearly. Uh, and I, I think that we have a ground for truth. We have a, uh, a belief that God created us as reasoning and rational beings, and he designed us to use those faculties. Um, and so we have... We should be leaders in our world in making clear arguments. Uh, and that is, I think, um, something I'm excited about, that we can, we have an opportunity as a church right now in our particular, uh, particular cultural moment. We could blow it, because there's a lot of us as Christians who have not thought through what we believe at all, and just give pat answers, because it's a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's such a, such an. It can be such an in-depth topic. Um, so, Phil, if uh, if people wanted to find out more about what you're doing um, as you're heading to China or just get in contact with you, um, how can they do that? Gospel to China dot com. Okay, that is that is a website. It has my contact info on it. It's amazing, you got that and one. GospelToChina.com is seems like somebody would have snapped no, that up. No, <laughs> generally organizations that are interested in exporting Christianity to China uh, do not overlap with the organizations that want to have a web presence. <laughs> <laughs> Valid. So we're a little bit unique in that in that realm. Andrew, I find it disturbing that you and I keep trying to say the same thing because I was about to say valid and then you said it and I was like nope keep my mouth shut (laughs) (laughs) well great minds think alike I'll leave it there (laughs) yes yes they do (laughs) and like we've discussed today even though great minds think alike no argument there Andrew (laughs) (laughs) even though great argument great minds think alike lousy minds don't think alike because there's a million ways you can diverge into unclear thinking it's very easy to be hard to understand nope <laughs> i don't i don't understand Philip. all right well thank you all so right, well, much hey. uh we really appreciate yeah, you coming yeah, thanks, on Phil. uh we look forward to the next time we get to have you on philip and uh good luck next time from china and about high-speed trains sweet, sweet. that sounds cool <laughs> oh man <laughs> we almost Did made it, it. we almost made it <laughs> All right. Well, hey, uh, thank you for listening. Thanks for the, taking the time. Um, you know, like, like every podcast, the obligatory statement of if you really like what you're hearing and uh, you know, share it with your friends, tell people about it um, and go onto iTunes, give us a rating. It really helps us get the word out. And um, if you have um, a topic you want to discuss, um, just contact us through the website and we will uh, do our best to get you on here. Um, Thanks, everybody. We'll see you later.